Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, August 11th. On this episode, we have some follow-up questions from our topic on Monday. One of our first topics was looking at the value of hard-hit balls, particularly hard-hit balls. We'll get to some of those follow-up questions on this episode and talk about balancing the barrel rates of players with their plate discipline skills because at a certain point yes you can barrel the ball a lot but if you strike out too much it is still problematic it it is a skills flaw that offsets the uh, great skill that you show by barreling the ball as often as you do we're also going to get into a few late season additions with potentially bright futures and we'll talk about when you can buy a turnaround with stuff plus numbers a couple players caught my eye recently so i want to pick eno's brain on what some of the changes we've seen from those players might mean going forward but you know let's get right after it here uh the camping chair uh, tip that i shared on monday it's beginning to backfire now that it's wednesday apparently the human body is not meant to sit in a camping chair all day long and do work it is meant to sit in a camping chair for a little while and go to the beer. beach and drink beer <laughs> and come back and sit by the fire uh so uh, we'll, we'll keep things rolling just for the sake of uh, my long-term health. Your spine. Uh, yeah, I think my, my spine would benefit from uh, a tight 55-minute show today as opposed to a 90-minute uh, longer marathon show. Uh, we had a question come in about Jake Berger in particular, and I think this sort of fits into uh, something that a lot of people are thinking about anyway. The question came from Frank on Twitter. And he writes, small sample, but Jake Berger in 23 bad ball events has an average exit velocity of 98 miles per hour, which is number one for non-pitchers. He also has a 4.3% soft contact rate per Fangraph's bad ball data, which is second only behind Andy Young if you lower that to a minimum of 40 qualified events. Too small a sample to do anything with, or because those events have happened, does it show potential even within a small sample frame? Try to touch on what Eno was saying, where one batted ball event can make a difference and see if this falls in line with what was being talked about on Monday. Yeah, you know, first of all, a, a, a little small mea culpa. Um, I may have described the baseball info solutions hard hit incorrectly. Um there's actually an algorithm that converts hang time and landing uh, distance uh, into uh, a hard hit percentage. So it's uh, just a slightly different uh, way of doing things than, than StatCast, but it is regimented and it is not necessarily just a, a stringer uh, making the decision. So, I think that's a it, that's an important thing to say because there are stringer decisions about they have these they do have these distinctions like flyner liner liner fly whatever fly fly <laughs> um, and those are very difficult and I 
I wonder how useful they are. And especially now that we can be more specific, but it is interesting to think that like you might get a different outcome just by looking at where it landed and how long it took to get there, as opposed to like looking at um, the launch angle and the exit velocity, which is uh, you'd think you'd get to the same result, actually uh, kind of doing those two things. So I'm a little surprised they're so different. Um, But then there's also just the question of what, the threshold is what you call hard hit um, after that. So uh, didn't get it completely right. Sorry about that to BIS. Uh, they do great work. Um, and then on top of that, uh, just back to uh, Mr. Berger. I mean, I would look at uh, the max exit velocity in this sort of sample and be pretty excited. Um, you know, he's got... He's got a 115 on the board. Um, and I just, the average exit velocity has just not been shown to be a useful stat. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think that people just go in and out a little bit with the average exit velocity. I think that's a little bit of like a, a hot streak sort of deal, you know, where uh, remember when Yenis uh, Cespedes came over and hit, it was hitting 95 plus for like three months. Yeah. And if you could average 95 all the time, you'd have really great outcomes, but uh, he didn't come into the next year and just average 95. You know? <laughs> like it was, it was just, it ended up being just a hot, a hot uh, few months. But um, here I'm trying to get the exit velocity sorted here. So uh, Jake Berger has a 115 um at a 22 degree launch angle that is according to the research of glenn healy very predictive um and no matter what actually no matter what that launch angle is 115 is really impressive but not on on top of that he has a, a 112 and he has uh, already five batted balls over that 108 threshold um of which all of them are in the predictive range according to glenn healy's work um so this is a guy who hits the ball hard and for what it's worth, um, I don't know that uh, his play discipline is is so terrible. Right. I think this is uh, kind of another question that came in from Travis separately. He was asking if we could address uh, how to handle batted ball stats with traditional play discipline stats. Going to kind of marry the two together. The example is maybe a player has a high barrel rate, but high strikeout rates. And how, how do you work through that? Well. I think it really depends a lot on the context of of who the player is, how old the player is, how much experience the player has at the big league level. And I would say that Jake Berger would be one of the more extreme examples of a guy that because of injuries and because of the lost 2020 minor league season, he has lost a ton of development time. The last time Jake Berger had played in a professional game before his AAA debut in 2021 was A-ball in 2017. So there's a three-year gap where he was rehabbing and, and not playing in competitive game settings. So if you look at Berger and say, well, he's striking out 35% of the time. Okay, first off, small sample, 42 plate appearances. So not necessarily you know, a skill that we'd say he absolutely has shown us that he does not have the ability to make contact. He was at 25.3% at AAA. Even that, you'd look at that and say, well, that still might not be a great indicator of who he is given that layoff. So how this is a particularly challenging question, but just how much would you say you you need to see from Berger before you could start to feel good about 
even forecasting his K rate. I mean, it's probably he's not going to be a low K percentage guy, but I don't think he's going to be necessarily an outlier in a bad way based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, the fairly widespread in the projections. You can see that the bat has him around 26%. The steamer has him at 32%. That's that's pretty wide because 26 is closer to league average. 32 is someone who would have a poor batting average. Uh, and yet, amazingly, steamer has him projected for a 239 batting average, and so does the bat. <laughs> How does that happen? It happens because of power. Um, I, I, I do feel comfortable saying he has good power. I'm a little surprised the bat has uh, projected him for less power than steamer, but I think that we can comfortably say he has power and yeah. And the strikeout rate is, is really interesting. And the, and I think it comes back to, there's a philosophical question here, like miss time like that. Uh, what is his baseball age? You know what I mean? Yes. Is he really just like 22 in terms of, of baseball? Because that's the, he was 21 the last time he was playing professionally. Does he lose an extra year and a half because his body aged? I mean, like there, there is a clear difference. And we talk about this with players who are multi-sport athletes further into their professional career or deep into college. And you say, okay, now this guy's focusing full-time on baseball. Or now this guy is a pitcher full-time, the Jacob deGrom example, right? He was a college shortstop early in his career, started pitching late, had Tommy John surgery. Like He's not as old as the age on the back of his baseball card would suggest. There's not as much mileage on his body as a pitcher. I would say the same is mostly true of Berger. It just kind of depends on the nature of those injuries and how much wear and tear long-term is kind of done as a result of, of the time missed. So... I wouldn't look at him and say he's on the same level as a typical you know, 25-year-old right now. I would say split the difference. He's probably more like a 23-year-old in terms of his baseball age right now. And then if you think of him that way, what he's done in that very limited sample and even what he did at AAA before he got promoted is a bit more impressive. Yeah, there was that result, that aging curve of hitters that went off to war and came back. Um, and missed two years uh, that aged more than the players who played. But that's a complicated one because uh, they went off and were in war. <laughs> yeah, and maybe the impacts of war. Uh, might have been injured in war. And we're definitely not like hitting off of the, the, the slider machine for a year. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the long-term psychological toll of fighting in a war. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. The, you know, probably impact you in, in your ability to hit baseballs or throw baseballs the way you did prior to going to war. Yeah, so I don't know how useful that is. But yeah, with the Lorenzo Cain thing about like you know coming to baseball late and then having a later peak, I don't think we've fully... Um, like digested that or proven it um, with other examples. I mean, there's just a couple guys that peaked late that got to baseball late and we're kind of like, Oh, maybe that's a thing. Um, I don't think the sample's that big because most of the baseball players that play in baseball have been playing since they were like six years old. You know, So uh, it's kind of hard to find the more Lorenzo Canes to compare him to. Um, but um, yeah, and then you have a guy who physically was having trouble, right? Um, to take two years off, the body is now two years old. But then you think of also, uh, God, it's one of those things where you just like think in so many different directions. But like Buster Posey, Buster Posey uh, is old, uh, but took a year off and now looks so much better physically. He just hit a homer. He did a tank. 
to to deep center in San Francisco last night. Uh, and he's going to hit, you know, 20 or so homers this year. It's going to be one of his best power outputs ever uh, after a year, a year off. So um, I, I would just say that I think his strikeout rate will come down. I think it'll, it won't ever be a total asset, uh, but that he's a guy who can hit 250 with power um, and the power looks really real. So that's, that's sort of how I'd, I'd assess him. And I think, by doing that, I do mostly be looking um, at the max exit below with a little bit of an eye for which angles those max exit below came in. Yeah, and I think there are other players that are similar, just in the sense that they maybe haven't played a lot in the big leagues yet, but they're showing some flashes. They they maybe do have either plate discipline that could improve or good enough plate discipline with a really good barrel rate that it should get us excited about the future. But if you take a, a custom leaderboard and you start looking at uh, guys who thrive in barrel rate but struggle in K rate, you don't have to go very far. If you just sort by barrels per batted ball event, Mike Zanino, who leads all players with at least 100 plate appearances this season at 25.8%, he has struck out 37.8% of the time, right? And it's kind of like, well, is that good? It's like, well, he probably wouldn't get to that much power without swinging and miss, uh, swinging and missing as much as he does. So you have to take the good with the bad in a profile like that. But but if you're talking offensive value, like, yes, it's great that he can hit the ball really hard and that he takes some walks. But at a 40% K rate, he's tanking his offensive value uh, in real-life baseball and in fantasy baseball. And so you can't just say sort for barrels and be like, ah, Mike Zanino is going to be my catcher next year. I mean, I, I did a 50 uh, plate appearance minimum. Andy Young, the, the second baseman for uh, the for the Diamondbacks, hits the ball really hard, has a 116 max EV, 28% barrel rate. Huzzah, 49% strikeout rate. And I think one category I wanted to throw in there, 27 years old. So him and Zanino not very likely at least according to aging curves uh zunino is actually likely to strike out more in the future uh and andy young is past the peak in terms of improving your strikeout right now he might improve it just because he gets more time in the big league so um maybe he, he can do a little better going forward but um i don't think that i would anoint him a sleeper just based on the barrel rate Right. I think we'd be looking for guys who are probably closer to 24 or 25, younger, obviously better, but a lot of players right now are not getting that opportunity at the big league level if they're younger than that age, or if they are, they're highly regarded prospects who don't have the extreme swing and miss issues. Some of the other names that, that kind of stand out, I mean, great players are on the barrel rate leaderboard, of course, Otani, Tatis, Buxton, Acuna, Aristides Aquino, I think he's kind of more in the, the ship has probably already sailed group, 36.8% K rate. So far this season, we've seen a lot of swing and miss from him, even when he was running real hot two years ago at the end of the season uh, for the Reds. It, it's almost like there's a, a cutoff somewhere around 32%, which again, this would take a, a more rigorous study to say this is where the line is. But just kind of looking and eyeballing this list of guys who barrel the ball really well, guys who strike out a lot but not too much and are still productive – that's where it seems to be. Franmil Reyes is like right at that line. He's seventh in barrel rate, 31.9% K rate. It just barely works. Uh, even Ta- Mike Tyler Trout. O'Neill, yeah. Brandon Belt. Yeah, Mike yeah. Trout. Trout's surprisingly high up there, 28.1% K rate, but 
top 10 in terms of the barrel rate. You see some guys on the fail side like Bobby Bradley, right? 35.6% K rate. It's probably not coming down at this point. So you're not necessarily looking at him as a sleeper. But I, I feel a little better about him. I mean, like if you maybe Bradley and Delbeck, we were about to sort of put them away because they're, you know, 25 and 26. They, they strike out so much, 36%. 38%, but at least they're 25 and 26. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a chance there and at least they hit the ball really hard. So um, I'm not saying that I would focus on getting Bradley or Dahlbeck in dynasty or, 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 or trying to acquire them. Um, but if there was a, a, a stash situation where I could put them on my, uh, on my, the back end of my bench or a throw in situation in a trade where you're trying to get somebody else, um, it, it is interesting because some people will think that Dahlbeck is the future, right? Some I people think, still yeah. like him a lot. Yeah. But at 26, I think mostly in your dynasty leagues at 26 for him and 25 for Bradley, there are some people ready to jump ship and I'm willing to take a share if you're jumping ship. Yeah, but I think in in those leagues, we're talking 20-plus team leagues, like Dynasty Keeper, really deep leagues with nobody on the wire or AL-only leagues. Yeah, right? it's I mean, hard. It's like, in my 12-teamer, like I'm going to put I'm gonna put one of these guys on my bench in a 12-teamer. I don't know. I, I need that spot to, to, to play. Yeah, I saw. I mean, a couple other names that I wouldn't be that excited about. Patrick Wisdom. I know he's, he's oh, put he's up some good numbers so far, but 38% K rate, age isn't there. Uh, if you are looking for some younger guys who are somewhat interesting I think Ryan Jeffers kind of caught our eye. He's a catcher, so they take a little longer anyway, but the barrel rate's good. 34.6% K rate so far. And we don't have a, a long track record of, of elevated swing and miss from him in the minors, at least not at an alarming rate. So I could see Jeffers kind of emerging to be a good long-term sort of pickup. He's at the point in his career, he's probably not going to spend a lot more time in the minors. He's at least in some kind of share with Mitch Garver when they're both healthy and perhaps the twins end up making Jeffers the starter going into next season. So I think he'd be among the players that I'd be pretty interested in who probably have a brighter future with plate discipline and already are showing the ability to barrel the ball consistently. Yeah. You know, Jeffers is uh, to me like a really interesting, I think I even did it this year, but I, I think I'd do it again where he's a really interesting guy to put a dollar or two on in a two catcher AL only because, you know, Garver could get hurt and also he could just play well in limited sample, um, you know, in, in a two or 300 plate appearance type season um, or one of them gets, gets shipped out and he could go into the role. But like, he seems like a Garver clone, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't even mean, I don't know if that's true, like in every regards of like their, their, their minute strengths and weaknesses. Cause I know Garver has had some issues with, uh, you know, fastball slider, like which I forget which one it is. He couldn't hit, but he couldn't hit one of them. Um, but I do think that Jeffers uh, could do what Garver does. And so the Minnesota twins might say, Hey, we've got a guy who can do what Garver does. Why don't we just, you know, give Garver to someone. Um, for pitching, you know, that could be totally something that happens, but in any case, he's a guy that I put there, put my eye on. And then the other one, um, uh, that, uh, I mean, Kyle Lewis, uh, also stands out on this list for me. Uh, he's doesn't have the third, like 35% strikeout rate where you're worried about him, but at a 25% strikeout rate with this kind of a, a top 50 barrel rate, and then 25 years old, there is another level for him. And that level would be 
you know, a 23, 22% strikeout rate uh, and really tapping into all that power. So that was a, that was a name I wanted to highlight. And then uh, old friend of the program, uh, Keston Hira, just wanted to point out great barrel rate, 24 years old, you know, I didn't bring him up. Uh, <laughs> I want to believe, and I I think the in the several times that Keston Hira has been described on this pod <laughs> and on the Athletic Baseball Show, I think the consensus uh, between all of us who've talked about him is he needs an off season to revamp his swing. Period. Like you're not fixing that swing in a season. Yeah. It gets rebuilt over an entire winter. And hopefully he comes back and just makes more contact and still has the power. I think it's all feels power. It always has been. It's still still there, 51st in barrel rate. So I, I get it. And the age is the key there, too. The other thing that Lewis does, by the way, and Jeffers does this, too, that is really important, he walks. It, it, it matters for real-life outcomes. It matters for overall value. Getting on base gives you a chance to score a run in fantasy. There's there's plenty of reason to still like look at that column as well. So if you're going to... Go after someone who barrels the ball and needs to grow a bit in the K-rate percentage. Find the guy that actually shows the ability to draw some walks, too. Because I think, at least in my mind, even if the numbers don't bear it out, it gives me that glimmer of hope that there's some pitch recognition in there. And with that, there's that possibility of cutting down a little bit on the K-rate over time. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to put those guys up against like Brent Rooker, uh, who... Clicks a lot of these boxes, 26 years old, 30% strikeout rate, uh, you know, top 75 barrel rate, uh, uh, 5% walk rate. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. I just have a, a random comp that just came to mind because five percent walk rate is also what Adelis Garcia has right now. Too. Oh, there you go. His without last, the speed or the defense. <laughs> well, yeah, without his, his last six weeks have been pretty brutal, and he's but the speed and the defense pitches. have kept him out there. Yeah, it keeps playing. Is Adelis Garcia actually another Adam Duvall? I mean, like the current version of Duvall strikes out about the same walks uh, a similar rate barrels the ball at a similar rate i mean like is that sort of the trajectory but of garcia which another which is, question is if adam duvall could run and play center field defense would he be a good player <laughs> yeah that's that's a fair question to ask too but i just think about duvall as a guy that's been on and off several rosters and has had a pretty bumpy path to the the player that he's been really just throughout his career but even the last couple of years when he's had some short-term value for us in miami and atlanta it's come with some, oh yeah, and he could lose his job at any moment, sort of downside risk. Yeah, I've mostly, I've mostly 
uh, been a proponent of uh, letting him go, trading him if you need to, especially uh, if you need pieces and you're a win now team. It seems like he could uh, he could get something for you and might not cost you that much in the long term. It's weird. This, uh, this turned up a couple catchers like Luis Torrens, another guy. That's yeah, I was just about by. to say William Contreras and Luis Torrens both show up as having good plate discipline, being young, having good barrels. Um, yeah, why did why are we showing up catchers? And it and why aren't we showing up more fun names? <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, Kyle Lewis is fun. That that was fun. And then I I, I guess. Um, Jeffers and, and the, the catchers are, are somewhat fun, but like, is there somebody here that like Chaz McCormick or could be a little fun? Maybe Sheldon, that's part of why they were willing Sheldon to move Miles Straw. Noisy, Sheldon I noisy, think, not walking time. at all though. Yeah, noisy. Noisy was in a better situation before the Dodgers traded for him. He was in a better path uh, in Oakland to possibly get playing time because of the mm-hmm. problems they had at second base. He gets traded to a depth chart and is an up and down guy. All season, like Connor Joe is a little too old to be interesting. How about Ramon Urias in Baltimore? Yes, years in Mexico, and also just... kind of boring, but but <laughs> but interesting. He's one of these. Uh, yeah, I nobody is excited to do it, but uh, then gets great value from them, right? So I, I think twenty-seven years for... old. Could strike out a little bit less given his minor league career. career. So twenty three percent strikeout rate, uh, top top one hundred barrel rate or top seventy five barrel rate. Uh, so and then you know applies his trade in Baltimore, uh, walks a little bit. Probably won't steal any bases, but my comp was Freddie Galvez. I think I'm gonna look at Galvez here. I'm talking about the Freddie Galvez that uh, struck out. Let me see if he struck out too much to make this comp worthwhile. But no, yeah, Freddie Galvez struck out uh, twenty to twenty-two percent of the time, and uh, over a four-year stretch, uh, averaged something like twenty homers a year. Boom. Although he did steal some bases, I'm not sure Urias will, but something like Freddie Galvez, I could see. Just I, has to be I have, the right. Situation. I have some auto new. I have like a dollar on uh, on an auction right now for Freddie Galvez and auto new. Uh, just because middle infielders are hard to find, and a guy who could do what he can do could probably uh, be worth that dollar. Flipping the leaderboard just for a moment, and we're not talking about under uh, the radar, overlooked sorts of guys at this point, but I think what I see Josh Donaldson high on the barrel rate list, low in terms of K rate, high in terms of walk rate, even though he's old and he's hurt all the time, as that price continues to fall. He's the old and boring type of player that I'll still keep taking chances on, even knowing that there's obviously a risk of more missed time in the future because of past missed time and soft tissue problems that he's been dealing with. Uh, but then there's also Matt Olson. And I thought when the first time I saw that his K rate had significantly improved, probably back in May, I said, let's see what happens in June and July and August because I'm not sure I'm going to buy into this completely new version of Olson. But we're sitting here in the second week of August. He's got a 16% K rate, a 12.1% walk rate, and he's still bearing the ball a lot, still top 50 in barrel rate on this board. So uh, how willing are you to say that Matt Olson has changed himself for the long term better with some of the changes that we've seen from him in 2021? There's some coaching aspect behind the scenes. He's choking up on the bat more. Uh, he's varying uh, his distance from the plate 
uh, more often and sort of changing that with, uh, with regard to the pitcher's heat map to kind of take advantage of where his swing lines up with their heat maps. Uh, he's got a, a little, something called a little red machine that he got from Tommy Lastella uh, that I think is some sort of uh, slider uh, throwing pitching machine. I don't know. Uh, he also told me that he's trying to chop down on the ball a little bit, uh, which uh, doesn't sound great, uh, but is uh, maybe a good idea. He kind of has the Cody Bellinger natural loft to his swing. And by focusing on chopping down to the ball, uh, he's being quicker to the ball and uh, mit- like sort of mitigating that natural loft a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, well, that's honestly like that's kind of like a golf tip that is pretty common. You have to kind of chop down the ball to actually get the ball in the air more consistently, which is mm-hmm. so counterintuitive. A golf club obviously angled and different than a, a baseball bat, but if you have a, a loopy swing, I think it's a fair way of describe Bellinger and probably Matt Olson's old swing. Yeah. If you in your mind are chopping down, your mechanics are not just chopping straight down. You're not going to just top the ball and hit worm burners, but you're going to you're going you to tighten be, it up a little bit. You're going to be closer to level, and you're not trying to get yeah. to completely level, but you're just trying to be less loopy than you were before, and that's sort of the corrective action you have to take to get there. So I, I like that that's the adjustment he made given the problems we'd seen for him in the past. I mean, I think it's likely this is a career year, but the nice thing about having projections in front of you is that you can look at them and say, you know, what happens if he just, like, what if I buy at this level, what happens if I just get the projections? It's still pretty damn good. I mean, yeah. the, the projections right now uh, would settle in around 260 uh, with, a, honestly, like a 38 to 40 homer season. Right. Every projection system right now for the rest of the season on Matt Olson has a lower K rate than what he gave us in 2017, 2018, or 2019. For his career. Yeah, the only one, Zips is the only one that's over his career number. Yeah. So that's a pretty significant improvement when you see that. Uh, across the board uh, with projections Uh, anything else in in this corner that uh, has caught your eye and you were talking sort of about the old and boring i mean i I think jd davis might have another gear to him uh because the plate discipline is good he missed so much time the strikeout rate is a little bit out of line for him he's 28 um i don't know maybe it's one of those things where he gets traded he was in trade talks uh, or at least he was in trade rumors for the Mets, you know, they're always looking for better defensive fits and they're always moving pieces around. Or maybe he's just a Met at third base for all of next year and actually plays a full season. So J.D. Davis is definitely a, a name that keeps popping when you do these kinds of, of uh, searches. And then we talk about old friend Sam Hilliard. Um, has decent walk rate. Uh, the strikeout rate at 35% is not super manageable, but... At 27, if he could get it down to, you know, 31%, he might be in that sort of Tyler O'Neill territory. Yeah. Uh, and he's a little bit like Tyler O'Neill, right? Where he's a guy who's like prodigious tools, fast, hits the ball really hard, uh, has problem making contact, and hasn't had a regular job yet. Right. I, I would say you could put him maybe into the actual age conversation where, from a baseball perspective, maybe he's six months or a year actually younger than true age just because of the way they've jerked around the playing time with him. I, I thought he'd play more by now. Nothing's guaranteed in Colorado. We don't have to go down that road 
again, but I'm not writing him off completely for deeper leagues, even though it seems I think- like it'll get more like it, it, there's more, it's more likely now, given the last year that he gets a full, full season to a burn because the scouting director who the, the scouting director who, who, who signed him, I mean, who, who drafted him is now the GM. Good point. And the whole, the group that they left behind, like the 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 GM and everybody that wanted to win now, obviously we're trying to make win now decisions, and we're bringing in all these old guys that kept Sam Hilliard out of jobs. They're all gone, or at least that idea is gone. Um, I was just talking to Brett Phillips uh, today, uh, and he's a he's 27, and I'm not saying he's uh, performing amazingly, but with league average offense um, and I think some of the best defense in the game, uh, some of the best base running in the game, he's going to end up somewhere around a league average player. Um, and in, in less time, I mean, in like something like 400 plate appearances, he's might get two wins. And one of the things he just said was like, you know, one of the things they did here was believe in me and give me a shot to be in the lineup uh, in a regular ba- in a regular way. And he's got the best barrel rate of his career right now. Um, and he's improved, uh, you know, in a lot of aspects of the game. So, uh, I'm not saying pick up Brett Phillips. I'm saying Sam Hilliard has that chance that at some point someone says, Hey, we're going to give you the shot. Yeah. And I think the interesting name that popped into my head or once interesting name, Sam fold. I mean, the Rays had got a lot of mileage out of Sam fold back in the day. I wonder if that's kind of how they saw that's, it. I bet you that's the Brett Phillips mold. Yeah. I, I did ask somebody over there. I was like, you know, I was a little surprised like what, Brett Phillips. And he's like, we, you know, it's the whole package, you know? And, uh, in terms of like, you know, a fan interaction, which is why I was talking to him, but, uh, teammate interaction, um, and then just like kind of peak fourth outfielder skills, right? Like, what do you want from your fourth outfielder other than like excellent, excellent defense bats from the left side and can take a walk and, and hit a homer, right? Yeah. Cannon arm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's not, uh, someone that you pick up expecting to turn into your starting center fielder. It's someone you pick up expecting to be a really, really great fourth outfielder. And you have that player on your roster as long as you need them. If your team gets better because you called up a few young guys eventually, then you you trade them away because someone else will find plenty of value in that skill set too. So yeah, a better real life player than a fantasy player. And obviously the clubhouse presence matters too. If you've ever watched a Rays game, you can. It, it's not always easy to see who the good clubhouse guys are when we're watching on TV. You can see that Brett Phillips is a good clubhouse guy from one thing miles I, away. And one thing I talk about too is um, that I think one of the major skills of being a good clubhouse guy is the ability to cross cultural and language gaps. And do you remember that one um, that one clip of them doing a dance off? I do. It wasn't it Brett Phillips against Randy Rosarena. Yeah, after was it one of the World Series games? Or after they after they won the ALCS, I think is when they had the they had a, I think they had more than one dance off. But yes, I do that's remember pre, that. That's primo clubhouse chemistry right there. I mean, that's that those are guys across a language barrier. Like you know, those are those are guys that hung out in different crews after the game. You know what I mean? Uh, to do something like that really builds camaraderie across uh, across the clubhouse. So. And um, 
I hope that if anybody cares about that sort of thing, I've got a piece going up uh, next week and, and it's uh, going to be an A1 about uh, it's about fan interaction. But the the Phillips quotes, um, I might be the deepest in there. Like, I didn't quite expect that. <laughs> I thought I was going to go to Phillips and get just a couple funny stories because that's that's I've interacted with him since the Arizona Fall League. And uh, we always end up laughing um, while we're talking. But uh, I, he, he really brought it this time, uh, with some, uh, really interesting things. And then a little factoid, you said, uh, people like that are always in demand. Uh, he had a really interesting, I don't want to give it all away, but he, he said that there was, uh, another trade offer on the table. He did, the Rays were not the only team that wanted him, uh, literally, uh, hmm. when he went. And I think, um, to some people, it might be surprising for a guy that was hitting like 150 at the time, uh, with the, with the, uh, uh, with the the Royals at the time, and and the Royals like seemed to be like a team that would need anybody that was going to be that could maybe be good, you know. Yeah, yeah strange um, decision there, but you know maybe they're looking at something. Maybe well, maybe that's what we're talking ceiling. about. Well, yeah, right, exactly. Like he's pr- like he's probably like a really good fourth outfielder. We don't really need a really good fourth outfielder right now. We need a we need a starting outfielder. <laughs> yeah, we need to find a guy that could be a starter if the right development happens. Like we think he's a good role guy, but. A role guy doesn't help you when you're rebuilding. You think that explains some of the Edward Olivares thing. I, I know people are really mad about this. Have you noticed this? People are really mad about it. And Edward, I, to background is Edward Olivares. Uh, people like him because what his projections are okay. He's got power and speed. Twenty five. The Royals seem to need an outfielder. If you just plugged him in, you could probably get. Uh, if you plugged him in for a full season, you could probably get something like 250, 18, and 10 or something. And that's the kind of, you know, that's a that's a fantasy profile that uh, that could be very useful in a lot of leagues. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's destroyed Omaha in 52 games too. at AAA yeah. this year. He's got 13 homers, 12 steals. He's got a, a sub-20% K rate. He's got a 155 WRC+. Plus. It's a 322, 395, 572 slash line. So it's kind of the, the Royals refuse to give him a job. <laughs> it, it's, it's weird. And then you look at the big league results, and there's a big difference. But it takes time, right? If he has nothing left to prove in the upper levels of the minor leagues, like you are the Royals. You are in a position to look at the future. He looks like he should be at least some part of your future so i think that's why people are frustrated but it's a results-based game a lot of times 283 obp so far this year even if you're giving power like that's not really enough to stick in the lineup so it's weird that he's in this spot in kansas city i would expect this more if he were on a roster where there was a team that still had a chance to make the playoffs and they couldn't afford to give him a lot of playing time so they wanted to play a lot more at triple a because this is his first season at the AAA level. It's not like he destroyed AAA two years ago pre-pandemic and is doing it again now, right? So it, I understand the right frustration. Right now, it's like but Nicky Lopez is getting playing time Yeah, I, instead of him. I think Olivares is more interesting than Nicky Lopez, but uh, hey, that's just me. Uh, thanks a lot for that question, Travis. That definitely did a lot of heavy lifting for today's rundown. <laughs> yes. Thank you for helping us out with the show. <laughs> My children are home <laughs> from school uh, for the last three days, and uh, Derek is living in a closet. I am with camping furniture <laughs> and a very upset dog. If you saw us on YouTube at the beginning of the show, you could see in the reflection, Hazel was not having the back-to-back shows on Wednesday. She's like looking outside. She goes, hey, 
It's 75 and sunny outside. We're not playing. And you're just sitting there staring at your computer like an well, the idiot. The dog's got to love the move to California, though. She overall does, yeah. It's just a, a matter of us being freed up to spend more time with her outside. We'll get there as soon as things get settled in. <laughs> Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about some players that could be good late-season additions with bright futures. We really drove this point home on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. That episode will go up today as well. But this is a time of year, and it does not matter what type of league you play in. You need to continue hustling on the wire. It's a redraft league. There are still opportunities to get extra standings points, to close the gap, to protect the lead. If you're in a keeper league or a dynasty league, I think this is one of the absolute best times of the year to start improving your roster just with simple waiver wire pickups. And one guy that Ian brought up who I have not seen this season, but I do remember seeing him as a reliever late last year, Carlos Hernandez. I think you wrote about him last week while I was traveling. By the eye test, this is what Ian goes by eye test before numbers. He's like, this guy looks amazing. I looked at the stuff plus numbers. Those look amazing too. And it got me wondering, like, what if he's just better than Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch? Doesn't mean those guys aren't good also. But I just wonder if, if Hernandez was kind of in this perfect situation to be completely overshadowed by the better pedigree guys in the organization when we're looking at stuff plus numbers that show multiple pitches that are above average with command too. 
Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on with him. And um, I, I would just one note of caution, because I am uh, totally in the tank for Carlos Hernandez. Just the, the command isn't great. Um, and so that's, I think, very hard to see when you're watching because you see him hit 99 in the seventh inning. And you're like, well, that's easy to see. Uh, but if you look at the location plus, uh, for example, on a slider, it's 90. Uh, the location plus on his forcing fastball is 90. His overall location plus is, is 96 is below average. Um, and that, that does undo some of the good, uh, that is done by his stuff. But, uh, I love the park. Uh, I love the stuff, curveball, slider, changeup, and sinker all above average. Even the four seam is basically right at average. Um, and I am uh, a big fan. One of the reasons that the command may even improve, I think, going forward is that he's kind of, he was kind of rushed. Um, the, uh, if you look at his, his history, uh, he didn't have a lot of innings. He's been in the system since 2017 or, or before. When did they sign him? Yeah. His first rookie ball season was 2017. Yeah, forget. I don't see where. Don't see where they signed him, but um, uh, but he didn't have a lot of innings down there. Uh, but he did run into a bit of I, as I understand it, a bit of a kind of a forty-man roster crunch, where he was getting somehow to the end of his of uh his time being protected, and so they had to decide what to do with him. And since and that's kind of the reason why he's in the big leagues. Where you know maybe his command could take a benefit from uh, more time in the minor leagues, but they weren't allowed. They basically ran out of time to do that. Um, I don't know if there's maybe some injury uh, in there because there's not a lot of innings. Uh, but uh, I'm I- I'm all over him. I've got him wherever I can get him. And I think the the command for me it, it's it's not problematic in the below average way. It's not in the 80s, right? When we see guys in the 80s, we look and go, oh, that's probably a reliever for sure. I think with Hernandez, it's a little bit like we were talking about with some of the the barrel rate guys with some decent underlying plate skills. It's just good enough and he's just young enough where you can say, maybe there is that path there and the lack of innings. I mean, that's that's true for so many pitchers coming off the season we just had. But yeah, his the shape of his minor league career is pretty unusual. So... With all of those weapons, I think there's actually a better chance than not that he's going to be a quality starter in Kansas City. I think it's also, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you bring up the number of weapons. So Carlos Hernandez has a 91 overall command plus. Uh, Luis Patino has a uh, 91 overall command plus. So that's, that's, you might say, oh, here are two high stuff, low command right there at the cusp. 90 is often what I call the reliever shelf. It does matter if you have more pitches. You know, it does matter because I think maybe on any given day, you might have better command of one, you know, and then it you have more chances of having a pitch you can command better than the others the distribution of the command, right? You know what I'm saying? Like um, there's a difference between a guy who can pitch, who can command two pitches, 91 at a 91 level, right? Or a guy who has five pitches, some of which are hundred, 102, 104. And then some are, which are like 80 and 70, right? 
That's mm-hmm. a it's just a totally different thing. So with Patino, the the pressure is to command the, the only pitches you're throwing. <laughs> uh, whereas with Hernandez, it's like, well, you know, what can I command today, and uh, what can I get away with in these counts and those counts? So. I'm not saying that Carlos Hernandez is better than Luis Patino, but I would say I'm maybe a little bit more nervous about Luis Patino's 91 command plus than I am about Carlos Hernandez's 91 command plus. Yeah, I think there's a a lot to dig into here. And I think the related question I had for you is when you start to see any pitcher go through some changes in season, when are you comfortable buying a turnaround with stuff plus or even location plus? I mean, I, I, saw Tristan McKenzie's chart recently, uh, in part because the results were good. I think of his last six appearances, five have been average or better in terms of his stuff plus number, which seems pretty significant, right? Because he was pretty consistently below average in all of his starts up until about the middle of June. So do you look at McKenzie as a guy who maybe is starting to show us some of the things that I was hoping to see at least back at the beginning of the season? Yeah, he has a definite sort of, you know, before demotion and after demotion uh, curve. And uh, it's pretty trackable in velocity where uh, he was struggling uh, to sit 92 or so uh, before and has kept that velo. So um, I noticed the velo right away when he came back and two starts in, I was like, ready to uh, change his ranking and uh, be more interested in Tristan McKenzie. But it is funny to remember back to his rookie year where he kind of had that good velo in the first two starts and then just basically lost it over time. Um, And that was, uh, that was part of the story. But then in this one, in this, this time Tristan McKenzie came up and he was quoted as saying, I have to let it all air out. I have to throw as hard as I can in the zone. And that's that's how I'm that's how I'm going to be my best, and that lines lines up with his velo. So you're kind of like, well, we've got this quote, we've got the velo. Um, I think that can ex- accelerate how quickly you would believe in someone, as you kind of have a story to believe, and and kind of it fits some of the peripheral numbers. But if you, we did actually do some validation for for stuff plus, and I've been looking at it, um, and the the big number in season when um stuff plus starts be- beating uh in season projections is 400 pitches so it's a bit of a concrete answer for you now uh that would suggest that 400 pitches in you know as much as you're going to know about the whole season uh, which isn't true you you gain more information over time but also i think it does suggest that like if you see a big change uh you know three or four starts is a, a good enough number yeah. You, you see a big change in stuff plus. Um, and I think, you know, for me, uh, I, I think you had on on the rundown another name um, where the change has been pretty drastic. Um, and it's funny because I, I, was being, I was being taken to task, uh, I think, in my last Q&A session. And uh, everyone was throwing this name around as an example that stuff plus doesn't work. Um, but, uh, Jamison Tyon cares not, uh, he, uh, he actually had seen his stuff plus diminish uh, over time. Uh, but I think there's a fairly clear, uh, demarcation between his last six starts and the, and the starts before, um, his very last start wasn't great by stuff plus, but 
if you just look as a group, the last six starts were probably his best six starts uh, in the course of the season uh, by Stuff Plus. And yeah, that, the, that range the includes his three good. best of the season, too. Yeah. So, um, I, one start, there is, uh, you know, and we're working on, on getting this uh, out to the public, but there, if you look at these graphs or you ask me for them uh, on Twitter, you'll see there's variation from start to start. Um, it's not the the smoothest of lines. And I think that makes sense. You know, they, there's a saying, different day, different arm. Um, you know, you get out there and uh, maybe the conditions are different. It's hot, it's cold, and, you know, obviously hot has something to do with Luis Castillo's up and ups and downs. Um, you know, how, how loose you can get that day, that sort of thing. So stuff plus is not um, something that becomes a straight line really quickly. Uh, but um, the hope is that it, it tells you a lot. And from our early validation work, uh, 400 pitches is a, is a big number. Yeah, the tie-on chart kind of reminds me of the scene in Billy Madison when uh, Veronica Vaughn asks him to write a cursive Z, and he's just scribbling all over the place. Kind of what the <laughs> stuff plus number uh, chart looks like on a start-by-start basis, but it is definitely nice to see that cluster of, of average or better starts together more recently. I, I don't know if we're ever going to see a ton of K's from Tyon, especially in the AL, right? Look at that game log. I know he had a couple starts that popped recently, but if he ends up being a top 30 to 40 starting pitcher on a more consistent basis, I think I could buy that. Maybe he'll be a tick better than that because of the team context, the ratios stay good. But uh, I, I don't I don't want to look at this last like two months from him and say, that's who he is now too. It's like he's both. He's the guy we saw in the first two months and he's the guy we've seen over the last two months. Yeah, the- but probably the better version of like the average of those two guys is the most you could hope for the overall line. Um, yeah. The over, like the overall line is what you're saying. Like the overall line looks pretty good. Yeah. Nice turnaround. Three, eight ERA. He's got, he's had a, a history of having low whips. So one, two whip, I think is, is doable. Um, even just a, a projection sense, taking away the stuff in command numbers, just looking at the, at what he's done, Ever since he's had the slider, he's had double-digit swing strike rates and strikeout rates of eight, over 8 per 9. Uh, he's always demonstrated great command and the ability to keep the ball in the park. Now, obviously, this is the first year he's in uh, Yankee Stadium, so his home run rate has gone up. But I think a one three five home run per 9 for a Yankee starter is actually pretty good. Uh, it's a really, really tough park. So I, I think uh, I think Tyon has done just about what I expected um, and uh, is is a good but not great starter. Yeah, I don't know why it's working out. It seems we're talking mostly L players today, so my apology to those of you who listen who are in NL-only leagues, but uh, the other player that I thought was kind of interesting is Logan Gilbert because when he came up, the Stuff Plus numbers I think were pretty good on at least two of his pitches. They still are good now to this point in his rookie season, but he really turned things around after a bumpy first few outings. It's not to say that that's anything abnormal that was happening to him those first few times out, but as you've had a chance to look at the the bigger picture with Logan Gilbert and you see like his chart tracking up in a very good way more recently, do you think the ceiling is that of maybe a legitimate frontline sort of starter? Because that's, that's the vibe I'm starting to get looking at some of the underlying numbers on Gilbert. Yeah, one of the nice things is that uh, this upward trajectory and stuff plus just tracks right with his fastball. Um, his fastball has just been improving. 
And uh, the changeup is up and down and erratic. Uh, but I think that might be the last key to unlocking the curve. He's mostly put away because it's, he's had one start this year. It's been above uh, average by Stuff Plus. It's kind of ironic because I think in a lot of scouting reports, the curve was supposed to be his best foot forward. But he's a fastball slider guy with a seam-shifted wake changeup. And uh, there's some evidence that he found a new grip or found some, some something with that changeup uh, halfway through his major league uh, season so far. And so I think that uh, is what I'd watch if I wanted to uh, really believe in him uh, as a frontline starter. But I, I, I think he's shown us enough in terms of being able to locate the four seam and slider. He's uh, both of those are above average by stuff and location. So that's a really good one, two pitch in today's game. It's, it's a one, two combo. Um, there's a lot less pressure on, on, on you. If you can do those two things. Well, I'm trying to think of uh, somebody that just slimmed it to that tie on, didn't he? Uh, no. Also, Oh man, who was it? That just uh, slimmed it and just tried to be more forcing Blake Snell. Blake Snell just he not only turfed the uh, not only did he turf the changeup, which never looked good by Stuff Plus, uh, but in his last few starts, he has turf, turfed the curveball and become more of a fastball slider guy. And uh, I think just with the the there's less pressure on you to turn the line over lineup over a bunch of times. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, just going with your two best pitches and mixing in the third pitch, uh, to get five innings deep, uh, is a good enough approach for a lot of people. And I would wonder too, if you have three or four pitches that you like to use and maybe your mechanics are out of whack and getting down to two pitches might help you get those mechanics back. Like for a while you give them up, eventually you get the mechanics cleaned up and then you go back to throwing that third and fourth pitch again once everything is back in sync or where you want it to be. Yeah. So for Snell now, uh, he's had, uh, three, three starts in a row with his, uh, best, uh, with his, well, three starts in a row of above average stuff, which he hadn't done since may. Um, and so I would say there's a bit of a turnaround there. Uh, also his, he basically the three best, uh, consecutive starts of location. Um, so I think, I think that speaks to what you're talking about. I will say that I don't know that I'm going to put Blake Snell like in my top 20 next year. I don't know what's your sort of off the cuff, uh, you know, feeling about Blake Snell. I think he's taken enough of a ding um, to me that I, I I know the strikeouts are still there, but the command is inconsistent. The stuff numbers aren't amazing. I don't know. Is he a top 20 pitcher for you going into next season? No, I expect Blake Snell's ADP when we get to next March, barring some unforeseen, amazing turnaround. If he finishes the season on a crazy high note and stops walking guys, I expect him to be probably in the 150 range in terms of his NFBC ADP. And I think that usually puts you about 35th to 40th among starting pitchers, if I'm remembering correctly and counting correctly. I, I might actually be interested at that price point, though, because the strikeouts have been there all the way through. I think the thing that I'm also wondering about with Snell is I've talked about this draft all the time. I have this team I co-manage with Todd Zola. We start drafting the last week of the regular season for the following year. The earlier you draft, if you're doing something like that or you're doing draft champions, the earlier you go, the better the discount's probably going to be. It applies to guys who've had disappointing 2021s 
like Blake Snell. Because okay. people like us have less time to, to talk them up as, as sleepers. Well, I think everybody, yeah, everyone has no time to find the silver linings and to find the reasons to buy in. They don't have the stories about drive it's line. Just Blake Snell all, sucks. <laughs> right. The, you, the recency bias is stronger coming right off the season like that. But I also yeah. think for someone like Logan Gilbert, the same holds true where all the reasons he's going to all the good things he's doing that are going to lead him into, I don't even think they're sleeper columns, but the, the, my guys sorts of columns, the, I think mm-hmm. the, the bold predictions columns, right? You're going to get bold predictions. Someone, someone, somewhere. I guarantee Silos. this. Yes. It, the, the bold prediction is Logan Gilbert will finish top three in the AL Cy Young award mm-hmm. voting in 2022. That will be a bold prediction. Somebody, maybe even someone we know actually writes and publishes. And this is not me mocking them. This is just, me saying before that happens, you're going to get a better price on, Bla- on on Logan Gilbert than you will when that sort of thought is bouncing. I think around I would take Blake head. Snell over Logan Gilbert next year. Really? Especially, I mean, especially if I got a round of price or whatever. You know, if the prices were even, I would take Gilbert. If, but I think Gilbert, I think Gilbert's going to have an ADP in the 75 to 100 range. I think it's going to be about a 50 pick difference early, and it's going to be like a 75 pick difference. <laughs> Give me those picks. March. I'll take Snell. I think. I think it's going to be a big gap. I think Gilbert does all the things that people in the fantasy baseball community want to see in a young pitcher, and they're going to push him very aggressively. Yeah, yeah, it could be true. The one thing that I that we don't know yet that makes what you're doing pretty tough, actually is uh will there be a dh in the national league mm, that would also be a pretty big factor right hurt snell i would say Gilbert. 75 25 there will be yeah i'd even yeah I'd, maybe higher i'd probably even go a little higher but i think we're splitting hairs at this point i'm expecting it to happen yeah and yes i'm expecting baseball in 2022 i'm expecting the cba to be an ugly negotiation, but one that does get rectified because yes, 2020 still happened. Teams in the playoffs, baby. Something, yeah, it's going to be some concessions <laughs> that we can't even fully uh, grasp right now, but it's going to happen. Everyone 14, I think, is too much, dude. I watch basketball, and it seems like half the teams make the playoffs. The 14 is like almost half, and then the basketball playoffs take forever, and the first round matchups a lot of times are not compelling. I think it'd be better in a sport like basketball and hockey and maybe baseball can, is already sort of closer to this. But instead of 16 teams getting into the postseason, if 10 or 12 got in and those last two to four teams that got in had to play a quick series, I, I actually think baseball's wild card approach has been something that at first a lot of us, at least I was on the side that was like, oh, this isn't good. This is not the tradition. It's like screw tradition. In in, in baseball, a lot of times the tradition needs to be Question. I suppose it could it could further cement like the it could give a better you it, it, it could give a better advantage to division winners, right? Yes, you should let teams they that all do get better in the regular season rest a little bit and get healthy and get right. Like that's that's worth something. And not even have to not have to face someone in the first round. Right. I think that's a good way to do it. But obviously revenue and getting some Because you still want to put some pressure on teams to want to be good. Because <laughs> you you don't want everyone to be like Hey, we all have a first round bat- matchup. You know, not just need to be better than sixteen teams. Yeah, we're getting a couple home playoff games. So, yay, we did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> we just have to win eighty four games. Oh. <laughs> we don't want that. No, no, we really don't. <laughs> we are going to go 
because as I mentioned up top, this camping chair, eh, it's a good camping <laughs> chair, but it's not a great broadcasting chair. But uh, if you'd like to support the show and more broadly the site, you can do that by going to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Three ninety nine a month gets you in the door to start. Thank you to the many of you who have done that already. And if you'd like to find us on Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. As always, you can drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel to get all the new episodes as they become available. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. 